Sure is good to see you this morning. I know we all come in with lots of different circumstances and situations working at us and pulling at us and tugging at us. But what you need to understand is that God knows all about that. None of it's caught Him by surprise. He, he's a sovereign God. He's in control of the whole universe and He is in control of the situations in your life. And uh, that's one of the important messages we need to take away from this book of Habakkuk. We need to realize that no matter what it looks like or no matter what it seems like, God is still firmly in control of everything that's taking place. And there is a reason and a purpose behind it. We simply need to learn to trust Him. To trust Him. We've heard it a million times. We've heard this statement I'm about to make a million times, but it rings true every time it's said. This is the statement. We make our choices, and then our choices turn around and make us. We make our choices, and then our choices turn around and make us. Thank you, sir. I am now 58 years old. That's hard to believe. Somebody came up to me last time I said that and said, you don't look 58. And I, I was like, what does that mean? How old do you think I am? <laughs> and she said, oh, about 51. I'm like, okay, I can live with that. Uh, I'm 58, and more than ever, I realize that my life is simply the sum total of the choices that I've made. My life is simply the sum total of the choices that I've made. I am what I am. I do what I do. I'm where I'm at. It's all the result of the choices that I've made over the course of my lifetime. For instance, for instance, as an 18-year-old freshman at the University of Alabama, I had to return to campus over the Christmas break to speak to a counselor about my poor grades. You didn't make bad grades. Oh, yes, I did. Anyway, I was staying with my grandparents in South Alabama at the time, and a girl named Vivian asked if she and her friend could ride up to Tuscaloosa with me. And I agreed. And uh, on the day scheduled for the trip, Vivian didn't show up, but her friend Lorna did. And the rest, as they say, is history. <laughs> and uh, we just celebrated 38 years of marriage this, this past Thursday. Yeah. Now, you make your choices and your choices make you. And I, that was a good choice, and I'm so grateful for it. I made some other choices that weren't so good. But it's true, we make our choices, and then our choices turn around and make us. And because our choices matter so much, the Bible speaks about them a lot. The Bible speaks about choosing, making choices an awful lot. For instance, near the end of his life, Moses, Moses challenged the people of Israel by saying in Deuteronomy chapter 30, This day I call the heavens and the earth as witnesses against you that I have set before you life and death, blessings and cursings. Now choose life so that you and your children may live. Later on, the prophet Elijah speaks to the people of Israel. And he said it. He, he said to them again, you have come to a place of decision, now make a choice. 1 Kings 18.21, he said, how long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow Him. But if Baal is God, follow Him. But you can't stand here at this crossroad any longer. You've got to make a choice. In Proverbs 14.12, we're taught how easy it is to be deceived when facing a choice. There is a way that appears to be right, but in the end, it leads to death. Psalm 1.6 reminds us to trust the Lord when making a choice. To look to Him for wisdom and guidance. It says, for the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. One last word about choices here in the Bible is this. Matthew 7, 13 and 14, the greatest teacher of all time, says that the right choice and the popular choice are rarely the same thing. The right choice and the popular choice or very rarely the same thing. He said, enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. That's the popular choice. Many enter through it, 
but small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Our choices are important. And every person in this room, every person you meet, every person you work with, every person you play with, every person you serve at your job is on a journey. And that journey will ultimately lead them to death or life. We need to make sure that the choices we make keep us on the road to life. Our choices really do matter. They really do matter. We make our choices and then our choices turn around and make us. And this truth really takes on even more importance when we face hard times. When we're in the middle of a time of confusion, this truth about choices and the power of choices really, really gains even more importance. Because it's when we're feeling the pressures of life, when we're, un when we're undergoing troubles, when we're working through struggles, that the importance of our choices is only magnified. When trouble comes, you find out what you really believe in. And what you really believe will lead you to make the choices that you make. And that's what was happening to Habakkuk. That's what was happening to Habakkuk. He was finding out what he really believed in. And in Habakkuk chapter 2, God brings Habakkuk face to face with the choice that he needed to make if he was going to stay on the path that leads to life. And this is what we're going to talk about. We're going to read the entire chapter here in, in, in the book of Habakkuk, chapter 2. It's a long chapter, but stay with me, and I hope to break it down and, and, and package it so that it becomes clear what, how, that, how it applies to our life today. Habakkuk faced a choice, and you and I face a choice today. Who are we going to believe? Who are we going to trust? Who are we going to follow? Who are we going to commit to? Here it is. Let's read it together. Then the Lord replied, God speaking to Habakkuk, then the Lord replied, write down the revelation and make it plain on tablets so that a herald may run with it. For the revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end and will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come and will not delay. See, the enemy is puffed up. His desires are not upright, but the just will live by faith. Indeed, wine betrays him. He is arrogant and never at rest. Because he is as greedy as the grave and like death is never satisfied, he gathers to himself all the nations and takes captive all the peoples. He's talking again about Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonian Empire here. <coughs> Will not all of them taunt him with ridicule and scorn, saying, Woe to him who piles up stolen goods and makes himself wealthy by extortion. How long must this go on? Will not your creditors suddenly arise? Will they not wake up and make you tremble? Then you will become their prey. Because you have plundered many nations. The people who are left will plunder you. For you have shed human blood. You have destroyed lands and cities and everyone in them. Woe to him who builds his house by unjust gain. Setting his, net, his nest on high to escape the clutches of ruin. You have plotted the ruin of many people, shaming your own home and forfeiting your life. The stones of the wall will cry out and the beams of the woodwork will echo it. Woe to him who builds a city with bloodshed and establishes a town by injustice. Has not the Lord Almighty determined that the, Lord, that the people's labor is only fuel for the fire, that the nations exhaust themselves for nothing? For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Woe to him who gives drink to his neighbors, pouring it from the wineskin till they are drunk, so that he can gaze on their naked bodies. You will be filled with shame instead of glory. Now it is your turn. Drink and let your nakedness be exposed. The cup from the Lord's right hand is coming around to you, and disgrace will cover your glory. The violence you have done to Lebanon will overwhelm you, and your destruction of animals will terrify you, for you have shed human blood. You have destroyed lands and cities and everyone in them. Of what value is an idol carved by a craftsman or an image that teaches lies? For the one who makes it trusts in his own creation. He makes idols that cannot speak. Woe to him who says to wood, come to life, or to lifeless stone, wake up. Can it give guidance? It is covered with gold and silver. There is no breath in it. The Lord 
is in His holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before Him. Let's pray. Lord, help me to convey this Word in its clarity and in its power. I pray, Holy Spirit, that You would use this Word to stir us all up to a place of decision where we make a choice to trust ourselves, our lives, our families, our futures with You. Help us, Lord Jesus, to commit ourselves to You. To make You the one and final choice of our hearts and lives. I realize there are people in this room who are trying to straddle a fence. They're trying to walk a tightrope. And they're going to find one day that that tightrope will give way. That they cannot straddle that fence without falling. I pray today that they would make a decision once and for all to commit themselves entirely to You. Wholeheartedly to You. And I'll thank You and praise You. as you take this word and use it for your glory and your honor. In Jesus' name, amen. This little book of Habakkuk, and I hope you go back, if you've, if you've not heard the sermon series, I, I, hope, I wish that you would pick up copies of the manuscripts the podcasts haven't recorded for whatever reason. I think the devil's in, the, in technology, so maybe that's why. But... Um, if you would go back and read these sermons, I think that they would help you if you find yourself in a place of confusion and darkness and turmoil. I think it would help clarify some things. Um, but this little book of Habakkuk, it records a conversation between a man and God, a prophet and his God. And in chapter 1, we see them speaking together to one another. And in chapter 2, God speaks directly to Habakkuk And in chapter 3, and this is next week, and I can't wait to get there because it's my favorite chapter in the Bible, I think. In chapter 3, Habakkuk speaks back to God and replies to God, responds to what God has to say in chapter 2. Here in chapter 2, though, that's where we're at. It's here in chapter 2 that God gives the man, the prophet, three instructions. And I want to share these with you, and I want you to think about how they may apply to you where you're at. The first instruction that God gives Habakkuk is he said, Habakkuk, write. Write. Verse 2 says, write down the revelation and make it plain on tablets so that a herald may run with it. I love the way the Living Bible has translated that or paraphrased it. It says, and the Lord said to me, write my answer on a billboard. Call me, Alabama. No, write. <laughs> Sorry. You have to make the random Alexander Shannara reference. Write my answer on a billboard, large and clear, so that anyone can read it at a glance and rush to tell the others. Listen, God wants to make His will will clear to us. He wants us to know what's coming. He wants us to know what we face in the days ahead. He wants us to know what it is, and He wants us to share what we know with other people so that they know too. So God wants us to know what His will is. It's not a secret to be kept that there is a judgment day coming and all of us will face it. There is not a secret to be kept. There is a Christ Jesus who suffered and died on a cross to pay the penalty for your sin and you don't have to face that day of judgment with fear. Write it on a billboard. How do you do that? Well, you do that first of all by living your life as if you believe it too. And then you share it verbally with people who will accept it and receive it. So anyway, that's an aside. Look, this is not some kind of coded message that only certain people will understand. It's a message that everyone needs to know. God hasn't hidden it from anybody. Now, we may keep our mouths shut, and we may not follow the instruction that we've been given, but what God is telling you and me is to write it in big letters so everybody knows. There's a judgment day coming. Death lies ahead. It is appointed unto every one of us one day that we die and then comes judgment. But guess what? There's a God who loves you, who provided an atoning sacrifice for your sins, 
And you don't have to face that day with fear. Because God's grace has provided us a way of escape. Right. Secondly, God tells Habakkuk to wait. To wait. Verse 3 says, For the revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end and will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it. Wait for it. Wait for it. (laughs) It will certainly come and will not. You know, God, God may seem slow. And Lord Jesus, sometimes he, how many of you are waiting right now? MJ spoke about it just a minute ago. Waiting. Waiting. Brittany, waiting. 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 God may seem slow, but He's never late. I mean, that's the testimony of the Word of God. In every situation, God seemed to wait, make the people wait, but He always showed up on time. His delays are never intended to hurt us. We have to keep this in our mind as we wait. It's never intended to hurt us. He always shows up on time. It's just that His idea of on time and our idea of on time never seem to match. They never seem to sync up like we wish they would. Why is that? This is another sermon altogether, and and you might want to explore this issue on your own. But why is it that God seems to delay Himself responding to our needs and responding to our our, uh, prayers? There are a lot of ways to answer that question, and I'm just going to, I think I put a couple of them up on the, on the PowerPoint. Sometimes God makes us wait to build our faith. Sometimes God makes us wait to mature our character. Sometimes God waits to strengthen our testimony. But here's why I think, here's what I think is the most important reason why God seems to answer in His own time and in His own way. It's because He will not share His glory with anyone. He will not share His glory with anyone, and we are prone to believe that if if something happens that we've been praying for, we are prone to believe that somehow we made it happen. And we know good and well it had nothing to do with us. You see, I believe that God waits sometimes because it helps us to recognize that He is the sovereign God. He does as He wishes. He moves when He wants. He answers when the time is right. Because then all we can do when we see the answer come is to say, to God be the glory. Great things He has done. To God be the glory. So God told Habakkuk to wait. God told Habakkuk the Babylonians would be judged in the right time and in the right way the Babylonians would be destroyed. Not today. Not tomorrow, but God wanted Habakkuk to know that the answer was on his way. So, wait for it. Wait for it. God would, in his own time, set things right. Justice would be done. And I think that many of us need to get hold of that today. We need to remember that as we pray, God isn't working off our timetable. He's not limited to our, to our idea of what the calendar should look like. 2 Peter 3.8 says, But do not forget one thing, dear friends, with the Lord a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years are like a day. What we are intended to do, what we are told to do is to keep praying and never give up to wait for it. God's going to make everything right one day. One day. We're just not there yet. The third instruction that God gives Habakkuk tells him to write, he tells him to wait, and then he says, remember. Remember, verses 4 and 5 says, See, the enemy is puffed up. His desires are not upright. But the just will live by faith. Would you say that with me? But the just will live by faith. We talked a lot about that last week. Indeed, wine betrays him. He's arrogant, never at rest, because he is as greedy as the grave, and like death is never satisfied. He gathers to himself all the nations and takes captive all the people. Now, we talked about verse 4 last week. That he here refers to Babylon as personified by Nebuchadnezzar the king. Nebuchadnezzar and his armies were ruthless. They were destroying one nation after another. And in the midst of this death and destruction, what should we do as the people of God? Remember, 
the just will live by faith. Doesn't matter what your circumstances, doesn't matter what your situation is, doesn't matter how hopeless and helpless you feel, don't cave in to what you see. Live by faith. Live by faith. Live by faith. The key to this life, the key to this journey with God toward our future destiny is not to cave in to what you see and respond in panic or fear to what's going on around you. Instead, our response is to be faith. Trusting God. Confident in who He says He is and what He says He will do. That's the key to living this life in the midst of uncertainty and turmoil and trouble and chaos and struggle and hurt. Keep your eyes on God. What should we do when they threaten to kill, you, kill us? The just live by faith. What should you do when they come to destroy your home? The just... Can I say this is going on all over the world? Why do we think that, that we, we in America don't deserve persecution? It hasn't gone this far with us yet, but it's happening all over the world. I've got friends who live right now. They're serving as, as missionaries in uh, northern Uganda. And they are near the border where all kinds of havoc is, is, is being wreaked on the Christians in, uh, in Nigeria. Hundreds and hundreds of Christians being killed. There are 900 Christians in, in Uganda that have already been killed this year. Uh, excuse me, in Nigeria this year. Why, why do we think that we should be free of all that? And the little bit of persecution that we're going under now? My God, nobody's burned down your home yet, have they? But what if they do? How do you respond to it? You respond to it the same way the people in Nigeria are responding to it. God is good. All the time. I am a witness. The just will live by faith. What should you do when you get fired for your convictions? The just will live by faith. What will you do when, treated, when you're treated unfairly or falsely accused? The just will live by faith. This little phrase is just tucked away in Habakkuk 2. This little phrase is the key to our life in Christ Jesus. This little phrase tucked away in Habakkuk 2 and repeated three other times in the New Testament, it's the key to an overcoming victorious life. As God's people, we live by faith. Not by sight. Not by sight. My little mom is in decline. Met with her yesterday. Got to spend some time with her. And she has these very brief windows of clarity. And I love it when she's, you can see it, you're having a little conversation. I love it! But it doesn't happen often anymore. So what should I do? As I watch my mom's declining health, this woman who gave 32 years of her life Serving the Lord in India. Those little hands have nurtured and nursed many, many orphan boys over the years who are now pastors in their own right all over South. What, how, how should I respond when I see this precious little mom of mine dying? I live by faith. And my faith is not in staying alive here. My faith is being alive there. That makes sense. I do not know how people cope with the brokenness, the despair of this world without faith in Christ Jesus. And some of you are there. You're struggling with things and you cannot, you're stuck in your helplessness and hopelessness because you haven't trusted Christ yet. You're not taking him at his word that he'll set you free. You're not taking him at his word that he will give you power to overcome. You're not you're not taking Him at His word that He can do things for you that you cannot do for yourself. You're still struggling along on your own. And I'm telling you, no, the just will live by faith. You will not overcome those situations. You will not overcome your sin. You will not overcome anything unless God works through you to overcome. Our whole, our whole walk with God is wrapped up in these few words. The just will live by faith. I don't want to preach that message again. Let me, let me go on. Our, our choices 
gets back to choices again. Our choices in this life are guided not by our feelings, not by our fear, not by our affection set on things in this world. Our choices as followers of Christ are to be based on faith. We live by faith, not by sight. Stop making choices based on what you feel like you ought to do. Make sure you've got clear direction from the Word of God before you make that choice. Don't operate out of panic. Don't operate out of fear. Don't operate out of your insecurities. Operate out of faith in God who loves you and who is good and who is in absolute control of this universe in every circumstance you find yourself in. Faith, faith, this little phrase, it's amazing. And then in verse 6, God shifts the conversation from instructing the man of God, Habakkuk. God shifts the, the conversation by talking about Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians. And in these next verses, from verse 6 to verse 19, God indicts, literally lists out a bill of indictment against, anybody ever know, know what that phrase is? A bill of indictment? There you go. You guys ought to identify with this. We all ought to, actually. Because there's a list of indictments against you, too. Everyone in this room. I don't, I, that's another sermon, too. I don't know if I'll stay, stay there very long. But, but God then begins to list out the bill of indictments against Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonian Empire. Remember, Habakkuk has been given his marching orders by God. He's been clearly instructed into what he is supposed to do as he waits for the will of God to be accomplished. He is to write down the revelation so that everyone will know what's going to happen. He is to wait for the will of God to come to pass. And he is to remember that as he waits, he's to live by faith. Okay? I hope somehow that resonates with you and where you're at today. But let's go through this list of, in, uh, this list of indictments, if you will, really quickly to see what it is that God had against the Babylonians. Indictment number one, extortion. Verse 6 says, Woe to him who piles up stolen goods and makes himself wealthy by extortion. The Babylonians plundered cities. They, they took from nations what didn't belong to them. They grew rich from the misery and the loss of others. But God promised a day of reckoning for the Babylonians. And in verse 8 it says, Because you have plundered many nations, the peoples who are left will plunder you. What goes around comes around. What you sow, therefore you will reap. Let's... Galatians says, God will not be mocked. God will not be mocked. What you sow, you're going to reap. Verse 8 says what they are going to reap. Because, Nebuchadnezzar, you've plundered many nations, the people who are left are going to plunder you. Babylonians got away with it for a long time. Y'all know what that feels like, don't you? Hey man, I'm getting away, I haven't gotten caught yet. Must be okay. But God promised there would be justice in the end. Indictment number two, arrogance, pride. Verse 9 says, Woe to him who builds up his house by unjust gain, setting his nest on high. Setting his nest on high to escape the clutches of ruin. You see, the Babylonians believed that their city could never be taken. They had built the walls so high that in places, the walls of Babylon were a hundred feet high. And they were convinced that nobody Nobody could take their city. No army could ever breach those walls. But in verse 11, God said this, The stones of your walls will cry out, and the beams of your woodwork will echo it. There's coming a day when those walls are going to fall. And the army's going to come in, and they're going to take everything. 
You can go ahead and read about it if you want to. You want to jump ahead and see how the rest of the story turns out. Go to Daniel chapter 5. Read it for yourself. What happens? Nebuchadnezzar rules. And the the Babylonian Empire continues to be a world power (coughs) Excuse me. until Nebuchadnezzar dies. His son takes over. And his son is a fool. And his son throws a party. It's a drunken orgy. As a matter of fact, it's kind of interesting. Nebuchadnezzar at one point almost seems to become a believer in God. But that's another. Read, read Daniel for yourself. Chapter 5, get back to chapter 5. He throws this big party, it turns into a drunken orgy, and all of a sudden this great big hand shows up and begins to write on the wall. Well, that kind of, that kind of, kind of puts a chill on the party. You know what I'm talking about? And they're like, what does that mean? They call Daniel in. By the way, let me just say this, getting back to Daniel again. I believe Daniel was influenced by the writings of Habakkuk. The just shall live by faith. I think, Habakkuk, I think Daniel and his three, the three members of his posse lived by that credo. The just will live by faith. They were surrounded by immorality, but they stayed true to God. They wouldn't eat from the king. Y'all remember the story, right? I'm, I'm really getting off point. Right on the wall. And what it meant when Daniel came and interpreted the writing for him was, Babylon, you have been weighed in the scales of justice, and you've been found wanting, and tonight you'll be destroyed. Read the story for yourself. That very night. That very night, the Persians came, breached the walls of that great city, and raised it to the ground. Don't tell me God's not in control. Indictment number three. And by the way, let me stop and say there. Pride goeth before. Pride goeth before. Indictment number three, bloodshed. Extortion, arrogance, bloodshed. Verse 12 says, Woe to him who builds a city with bloodshed and establishes a town by injustice. Can I just say this? I'm a proud American. I'm a proud American. God hates the taking of innocent life. Hates it. Every one of us has been created in the image of God, born or unborn. And I wonder what he thinks about a nation that has killed 60 million babies since 1973. God despises bloodshed. And if we think we can escape judgment for what we have done, we're fooling ourselves. And when judgment comes, we'll suffer along with the unrighteous. Let's go ahead and get that out too. You hear me? We may see things happening in our country that we wished we could have prevented, but we can't because God will not be stopped. His purposes will be accomplished. Now take a deep breath, because here's what I want you to see. Right in the midst, right in the smack dab middle of this bill of indictments, there's hope. Isn't that just like God? Right when you think we've come to the end, it's all over, it's done, everything's going to be blown off the face of the earth, it's all over. God speaks hope. God speaks hope. I love it. Right here in the middle of these indictments against Babylon, God seems to throw out the pause button. Wait, 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 wait. There's a better day coming. There's coming a day when the earth won't be filled with bloodshed. It won't be filled with violence. It won't be filled with injustice. There's a better day coming. There's coming a day when Christ returns to make everything right. Verse 14 says, for the earth, I love it, in the middle of all this bad news, boom, there's a a ray of light and hope. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Look, one one day bloodshed and injustice will be gone. Hatred will be gone. Racism will be gone. 
Violence will be gone. Pornography, gone. Greed, gone. Corruption, gone. Perversion, gone. Abuse, gone. Sickness and death, gone. Poverty, gone. Famine, gone. Drugs, gone. Addiction, gone. Sin, gone. Listen, that day is coming. The day is coming. We're not there yet. (laughs) We're not there yet. Thank God that day is coming because that's the light at the end of the tunnel and we press forward until that day comes. One day, one day, one day, the glory of the knowledge of the, of the glory of the Lord will fill the earth as the waters cover the sea. And I, I don't know about you, but I find myself praying with more and more conviction and passion, even so come quickly, Lord Jesus. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. I can't wait to see that day. I can't wait to see that day. Indictment number four, immorality. Verse 15 says, Woe to him who gives drink to his neighbors, pouring it from the wineskin till they are drunk, so that he can gaze on their naked bodies. Look. God promises to judge those who use alcohol as a tool to lead others into immorality. And some of us know full well what that looks like and what that means. When someone uses alcohol or drugs to entice another person to do something immoral, immoral, they come up against the Lord God Almighty Himself. Verse 16 gives God's response to such people who engage in that kind of behavior. He says, you will be filled with shame instead of glory. Now it's your turn. See, What you sow, you reap. God will not be mocked. You will be filled with shame instead of glory. Now it's your turn. Drink and let your your nakedness be exposed. The cup from the Lord's right hand is coming around to you and the disgrace will cover your glory. Indictment number five, idolatry. Verse 19 says, Woe to him who says to wood, come to life. Or the lifeless stone, wake up. Can it give guidance? It's covered. It's covered with gold and silver. There's no breath in it. God condemned the Babylonians for turning to lifeless wood and stone images for their guidance. They were going to images that had no life in them to find out what what they should do, how they should act, how they should behave. We're not that foolish, are we? I imagine if I went into your homes, I wouldn't see a carved figure like I would in a Hindu home of Ganesh or Shiva. Elephant-headed God. Shiva's a little dancing God with eight arms. I wouldn't see those figures in your home, I hope. No, we're we're better than that. We've evolved. No, we haven't. We serve idols still. John Calvin said the human heart is an idol factory. We produce idols. Let me tell you what the four biggest idols are in America today. Power. Our behavior, the idols that drive our decisions and our choices are power, a longing to influence and to be recognized, or it's control, a longing to have everything go according to our plan, or it's comfort, this longing for pleasure, the experiences. I saw some doofus walking across a tightrope on the news today. It's like, who, what, what? But that, he just wanted the experience. So he walks across, a, you can pay to do that. Why would you pay to do that? Anyway, approval is another idol that we worship. A longing to be accepted or desired by somebody. And we will compromise every principle God has laid out in His Word in order to achieve or get these things, won't we? And that's simply what an idol is. It's loving something more than you love God. It's putting something else other than God in the first place of your heart and life. There's no way, guys, to satisfy the demands of these idols. No way you can satisfy what these idols are demanding of you. They will only lead you further and further away from the contentment and the satisfaction that they promise they're going to give you. 
You found that out, right? Somebody asked a guy a long time ago, how much money is enough? The guy said, just one dollar more. How much power is enough? I don't know, I haven't gotten there yet. How much approval is enough? There's no way to satisfy the demands of these idols. Instead, you need to make sure you're looking to God for guidance. You're looking to God for security. You're looking to God for significance. Trust Him as you come to your choices and decisions because He alone can satisfy the longings that are in your heart. He alone can bring contentment to your soul. I'm going to stop. It's not my notes. I just want to, it just, it keeps coming back to me as I thought about this message over this week. I began to wonder what God's bill of indictment against me would be. Forget the, forget the Babylonians. I, I have no control over what the Babylonians were doing to violate the will of God. I, I know what I have done to violate the will of God, and it's not pretty. If God's bill of indictment was just limited to five things in my life, I, I think I'd be a pretty happy man, but I know it's much more extensive than that. I'm a cheater, and I'm a liar, and I'm a manipulator. God's bill of indictment against me would be much longer, I think, than it would be against the, than it would be the, the one that he's got here against Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians. What am I trying to say? What I'm trying to say is this. My only hope is Christ Jesus, who died for me on the cross. I am as guilty of sin as the Babylonians. You are as guilty of sin as the Babylonians. I deserve... Death, destruction, and hell, just like, the, just like the, the Babylonians. You too deserve death, destruction, and hell, just like the Babylonians. You get this? But Christ Jesus, the Son of God, went to the cross and paid the penalty for our sins so that we could go free if we live by faith in Him. Does that make sense? You see, when Christ Jesus died on the cross, and you put your faith in Him, your sins died there with Him. There was a bill of indictment against you, if you will, on the cross. And I don't know what your particular issues were. I can only speak to mine. But my bill of indictment was written down there. And when Christ Jesus died for me, it was as if my indictment was up there for everyone to read and see. But when He died, it was closed shut, and in, in, on the side there was written, paid in full. Paid in full. That bill of indictment has now been taken away. It's been covered by the blood of Christ. I am now free to go and enjoy a life that I never, ever deserved but am freely given in Christ Jesus. A lot of us are still walking around with our bill of indictment open for the world to see because you haven't yet accepted Christ as your Savior. Understand what I'm trying to say. Your only hope is Christ. Your only hope is Christ. He paid the penalty for your sin. Verse 20. It's just an awesome verse to me. God's indictment of the Babylonians ends at verse 19. And verse 20 makes, makes a description. Of, of what happened in that moment when the indictment came to an end. Verse 20 says, The Lord is in His holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before Him. Now some churches have used this verse as a call to worship. And that's not what it really is. It's not a call to worship. It's really a call for us to hush and make a choice. choice is this. Will we believe God? Will we take God at His word? You see, God has spoken. God has rendered His judgment. Will we trust Him? Hush. Make a choice. That's where some of you are today. You need to stop Hush and make a choice. 
hush and make a choice. Some of you are arguing with God. Hush and make a choice. Some of you are pushing back against that sense of guilt that you're feeling. right. That sense of guilt, that sense of conviction is what is going to bring you to God so that He can set you free from the shame and the guilt of your past. Hush. Stop arguing with God. Stop pushing back. Come to a decision. Make a choice. Now, to Habakkuk in 605 B.C., Babylon looked pretty invincible. God told Habakkuk, write it down so everyone will know and understand what's going to happen. Wait for it to be done. Wait for Babylon to be destroyed. And though Habakkuk never saw it, we're witness to it in history. But as you wait, Habakkuk, wait. As you wait, remember to live by faith. You see, Habakkuk was faced with a choice in verse 20. I need to shut up and I need to make a decision. And that's what verse th uh, chapter 3 is all about. Habakkuk is about to tell us what his decision is regarding what God has said to him. That's next week. This is this week. And my question for you is, are you ready to hush and make a choice? Will you trust God? Will you take Him at His word? Will you believe that He is in control? Will you trust your life and your future to Him? Will you choose to live by faith as you wait for the will of God to be done in your life? You see, that's really where we're all at, is it not? We're in a holding place right now. And all of us is faced with a choice. Every day we wake up with the same choice ahead of us. Am I going to trust God today? Or am I going to take things into my own hands and try to make it work? That, how's that working out for you, as Dr. Phil would say? We all face that same... Every day is the same thing. Shut up, Mark. Make a choice. And my choice is, I believe in God. I believe in who He is. And I'll do what He says. That's my choice. What's your choice? Every day it's the same... The Lord is in His holy temple. The Lord is in His holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before Him. It's time to choose. Choose you this day whom you will serve. Joshua said to the people of Israel, Choose you this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my household, we'll serve the Lord. We'll serve the Lord. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes with me this morning. I am so glad you're here. And I want you to know, everyone in this room, I want you to know how dearly God loves you. He loves you so much. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever would believe in Him would not perish. They wouldn't go the way of the Babylonians. they would be given everlasting life. And some of you need to stop pushing back. Stop arguing. Stop trying to drown God out. Stop trying to drown your own heart out. You need to stop and make a decision. Today is the day to decide. Will I trust God? Will I put my faith in Christ Jesus, who died as my substitute on the cross to pay the penalty for my sin, will I accept God's offer of grace so that I can be forgiven and live the life of freedom that I've been called to live in Christ Jesus? Hush and make a choice. Hush and make a choice. Hush and make a choice. Father, I love You so much. Spirit of God, I pray right now somehow You would drive this, these points home, this conviction home, God. I pray in the name of Jesus You would take away the guilt and the shame of people's pasts 
and you would give them a new heart and a new life and you would help them to see the wonderful future that lies ahead. Help them to see that You're for them and not against them. Help them to see, Lord God, that You have done everything You can possibly do now. To be reconciled to them. That there is a way open. There is a way open to them now. To Your throne. That You have created a path for us that leads us into sonship. We can be Your children, no longer Your enemies. Help them to make the choice. We make our choices. Those choices turn around and make us. And today is time to make a choice to trust You. To trust You. We may not understand it. We may not even like it. But it's time for us to hush and make a choice to trust You. For every empty heart in this room, God offers you today a new way of life, a new perspective, a new outlook, a new direction, a new purpose. Hush and make a choice. Stop arguing yourself out of the blessing of God. Stop trying to talk yourself out of this life of freedom that God has planned for you in Christ Jesus. I know the old familiar arguments. I've done too much. Come on, man. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone. 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 That means you. No matter what you've done. No matter where you've been. I've got to clean myself up first. I can't come to the Lord like this. Wait a minute, man. Wait a minute. You've got to trust God to do what you can't do for yourself. You're never going to clean yourself up. He'll do the cleaning. All you've got to do is repent and believe. Like the prodigal son returning to his father. Stop trying to argue yourself out of the blessing of God, the life that God has in mind for you. Hush and come to a decision. Hush and make a choice. And let that choice make you. As the Spirit of God works in your life to make you brand new. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away and all things become new.